back in January, we started this Relevant series, which most of you are probably aware of. If you're visiting today, I'll catch up real quick. But beginning back in January, we said we're going to go through the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation throughout the course of 2023. Uh, we're now in this part of the Bible as we go from beginning to end of the mission. So the last three weeks, we looked at the book of Acts. Uh, these coming weeks, we're going to look at different letters that were written. And so we're getting close to the end of the year. And so I wanted to let you know how we're going to kind of land the plane over these next number of weeks. There's eight weeks between now and the end of the year, eight Sundays anyway. Um, and so what we're going to do for the next five weeks is there are there's actually six authors that wrote letters in, um, in, the, in the New Testament. We're going to look at five of those. Uh, the one that didn't make the cut was Jude. His letter was too short, so we, we pitched him. Sorry, Jude. Um, but So this week, we're going to look at uh, Paul. Next week, we're going to look at the book of Hebrews. We don't know exactly who wrote the book of Hebrews. We'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, and then the week after that, I believe, is First uh, Peter or Second Peter. And then the week after that is James, okay? And then that leaves us with John, right? And so if you know the Bible very well, um, John wrote First John, Second John, Third John, and he also wrote the book of Revelation, okay? And so on December the 10th, we're going to do the book of Revelation in one Sunday. I'm sure that'll be really easy. Um, but we're going to do the book of Revelation. And, and my guess is Rivers Charleston and Rivers Taze Valley are probably going to be the only churches in all of America who are doing the book of Revelation when everybody else is doing Jesus is Born a Manger, right? Christmas. Um, and so I got to thinking this week, and some of you all uh, know Dylan. Most, I'm sure most of you know Dylan. Uh, he does student ministry. He speaks up here. He plays drums. He does, he's kind of a jack of all trades. But one of the things about Dylan is he is an AI nerd, right? Like if you were to type into your AI, you know, chat GPT, GPT chat thing, like show me a picture of an AI nerd, it would be a picture of Dylan, right? And so I asked Dylan this week, I'm like, Dylan, can you do ask AI to generate for us something that would combine the book of Revelation with Christmas, right? And so this is the picture that it generated, right? <laughs> And then I'm like, I don't know, that seems a little bit scary for Christmas. Can we get like a happier version of Christmas and, uh, and Revelation? So now we have the, the happy dragons here. So. <laughs> so go figure. So that will be on uh, December the 10th. You don't want to, it's also baby dedication day too. Like, <laughs> great, who planned this thing out? Um, and then uh, the week after that, the 17th, we'll have a Christmassy type of message. The 24th is Christmas Eve. We'll have uh, a service in the morning and a service in the evening. Those will be identical services, so you come morning or evening. And then on December 31st, we'll have, uh, it's also a Sunday, we'll have one service together, everybody jammed in here to worship in the New Year. So that's where we're going over uh, the rest of 2023. So this morning, we are looking at Paul. Paul wrote about 50% of the New Testament. He wrote 13 letters. Uh, and so having written all of that, it was a little bit difficult. Actually, it was a lot difficult trying to figure out what to speak on the one week that I had Paul as picking one of his letters. And so I thought about, my first thought was I wanted to do um, something from 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, 
where Paul talks about generosity and how to be generous and why to be generous and the blessing of generosity, especially since we just hit this quarter of a million dollar mark with uh, the dollar club. Uh, and then I thought, you know, my, one of my favorite passages is in Philippians chapter 2 about looking to other people's needs ahead of your own. Uh, and for Stacey and I, that's been our marriage life verse um, since the very beginning of our marriage. And I want to talk about that. Uh, and then in the book of Romans, there's this great section of Romans where Paul talks about and wrestles with this idea of sin. And, and I don't want to sin, but I do. And how do I not do what I don't want to do? And he, he's asked all these questions like, how do we deal with that? And I, and I thought about doing that. And then uh, 1 Corinthians 12 talks about spiritual gifts. And I love talking about that because I love people to step up and serve and to use their gifts. And there was all of those things. But here's where God led me to. And I really did. I mean, this early this week, over the weekend last week, and I was praying a lot about, God, where do you want this message to go? And so this is where I feel like God led me and, and led us for this morning. Uh, it's Ephesians chapter 2. And you can find that in your Bible if you want right now. Ephesians chapter 2. Um, and, and here's why I feel like God led me to this. is As we look at this passage today, we're going to look at 10 verses. These 10 verses are foundational for faith and life and the gospel in Jesus. And I got to thinking, if you don't get the foundation right, then it messes everything up. If, if you have the wrong foundation, then none of this other stuff even matters or you're going to get it wrong. It's going to crumble. If the foundation is not strong, then all these other things will crumble, whether it be generosity or marriage or treating others right or, or sin and understanding that or spiritual gifts. All of it crumbles if we don't get the foundation right. And so what we find in Ephesians chapter 2 is getting the foundation right. And here's what happens in a visual way if you don't get the foundation right. So here's a picture from California, right? Um, and that's a sinkhole. And, and I look at that, and so there, there, that's just, you know, alleyways between houses. But I thought, man, what if the house was built over that? It would absolutely fall in because of the foundation. Well, the people in Florida did that. So this is another picture of an apartment building built over a sinkhole, right? And so eventually the water and so forth eroded and that fell down. And then there's one more picture I found, and this is a house which is just on the edge of a sinkhole. Would you want to live in that house? I don't think you'd want to live in that house. The point being is if we build our lives and our faith on a foundation that's a wrong foundation or a foundation that doesn't hold, it messes everything up that's above the foundation. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to see three truths in here about the foundation of our faith, okay? So uh, I, if you have a Bible or if you have a phone, I would really encourage you to use that today because I'm going to read chunks of Scripture, but then I'm going to refer back to them, and I think it'll be helpful for you to actually have something in your hand to look at uh, to do that this morning. So here's the first uh, piece of Scripture. This is Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. It says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Okay, so here is the first foundational truth. It's this, I was dead in my sin. I was dead in my sin. You can fill in the blanks as we go along here. 
So I want to unpack these verses for a little bit and see how all of it points to this bottom line of this first truth of I was dead in my sin. So he has this uh, phrase, he says, and we followed, past tense, we followed the course of the world. And so if you look at the world and what's the course of the world, there are all kinds of things that the world is about that we used to go about, right? So the world is about money, and so we went after money. The world is about sex, so we went after sex. The world is about getting ahead by stepping on other people, so we went ahead and we tried to get ahead by stepping on other people. The world said, care, look out for number one, and we looked out for number one. That's the course of the world. And then it says, the prince of the power of this air. Right? It says, that's what you were about, the prince of the power of this world. Right? And so that's talking about Satan. Now, as you think about that in your own life, you're probably not like, yeah, I used to worship Satan, right? That's probably not many people's testimony, if any people's testimony here. So is that true of me? Well, here's the thing is, any time that we don't follow what God says, then we're following what Satan says. Any time that we're not on God's path, we're on the devil's path. And so we look at that and we go, we were following the prince of this era, the prince of this world. We may not have known it, but that's where our lives were about. And then it has this phrase, and it says, the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body. That's selfishness. Like that, that's us. That was us. I want what I want. That's the selfishness that we follow. And the result of that, in the last line, it says, we're by nature children of wrath. So, was dead, all of these things, the result is God's wrath upon us. Now, I want to read to you something that says, uh, this is what Jesus said about who Satan is. Okay, listen to this. This is John chapter 8, verse 44. It says this. It says, there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. You see, here's what Satan's goal is with us. Here's what Satan wants to do. He wants to lie to us in such a way that we believe that it's truth. Or he wants to sell us a twisted truth or a twisted lie or a half-truth, half-lie. And if we believe that that's truth, then we act on that. And that's what Satan wants from us. And so as we look at these foundational truths, and we're going to do this with all three truths, there are some lies or some half-truths or twisted truths that surround each one of these, okay? So with this first one, here's what I want you to see, and here's the lie that Satan would have you believe. Instead of, I was dead in my sin, Satan would have you believe, I am dead in my sin. In other words, you look at this passage, and every tense of the verb is, that's who you were, right? It says, you were dead, past tense. You once walked, past tense. You all lived in the passions of the flesh, past tense. You were, by nature, children of wrath. All of those are past tense. That is your old identity. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, that's your old identity. You were dead in your sin. You were an object of wrath. You were walking the way of the world. You were, those are all in the past. Your new identity, and we'll get to this in a second, and he uncovers it, is that we are alive in Christ. Okay. Here's the second lie that Satan would like us to believe related to this first foundational truth. And it's this idea that I'm basically good, 
but I do some bad things, right? And especially true for those who have not yet placed their faith in Christ. Well, I'm basically good. I just do some kind of not such good things sometimes. But you see, what this says about us, and it's very clear, it says, you were dead. I don't feel that dead. You were dead. And, and certainly that's not to say that everybody in the whole world is equally evil or bad, but everybody is sinful. And so dead is dead, right? So if you were to walk through a morgue, right? Not a real happy feeling, but like, like say you were to walk through a morgue and you, you pull up those drawers, right? And there's a dead person there. And, and this guy looks kind of peaceful, but he's dead, right? And you, you close the drawer and then you open the next drawer. And this guy has a, a gunshot wound through his head. And well, he's dead, right? You close that door, you open the next drawer, and there's somebody who's been in a car crash, and they just, they look pretty awful, but they're dead, right? Dead is dead. And so what this says about us is that we were all dead in our sins. It doesn't matter how many good things we did or how many bad things we did. We were dead in our sins. And see, here's why that's so important to understand for us in explaining the gospel. If you're here this morning and you haven't yet placed your faith in Christ, also important, or maybe even more important for you, that we understand this foundational truth. Because if we misdiagnose the problem, it leads to all kinds of different issues. Some of you may know this, um, but my wife Stacy um, was in the hospital this week. She's fine. She was up here on stage. She's doing great, right? Um, but on Monday uh, afternoon, we were together in the afternoon, and her face, um, this side of her face, this side, this side, this side, right side, yeah, this side of her face, um, it was turning red, right? And it was getting bigger and bigger, and the redness was starting to kind of go down um, across her chin and towards her neck. So we sent a picture to a friend, and they said, look, you need to get to the hospital. That looks dangerous. So we went to the hospital, to um, ER and all that kind of stuff, and it's a whole different story. But here's the thing is, we looked at her cheek and her swelling, right? And the fact that her cheek was red and was swelling, that wasn't the problem. Those were symptoms, right? And we knew that we needed to go to the hospital to treat the problem. The problem was that she had an infection that was caused by a tooth, and her face was swelling and getting red because of that. If we had just treated the symptoms, that would have been problematic. We could have you know, taken out some of the you know, fa facial base kind of thing that women use, and like instead of red, now it's, it's beige. Oh, good, you're looking great, right? And I could have taken a bungee cord and strapped her in and like make sure that thing doesn't get any bigger. Like, there we go, your face didn't get any bigger, right? That would not have been treating the symptom, right? It have been treating the wrong thing. And us being dead in our sin is the same thing. If we try and treat our deadness to sin or being dead in our sin by just like, I just need to be nicer. I just need to be kinder. I just need to try harder. I just need to go to church more. Those are treating the symptoms, but not the root problem that we are dead in our sin. Okay, that's the first foundational truth. Second one comes from verses 4 and 5. It says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Okay, so here's the second foundational truth. God is rich in mercy and love. God is rich in mercy and love. 
I love those two words, but God. I actually talked about that in a sermon or in a communion a number of weeks ago. But God, who is rich in mercy and great in love, that changes everything. You see, because he is rich in mercy and great in love, because of that, that's about his character. That's not about us. He saw that you were dead. He saw that I was dead in my transgressions, and he wanted to make me alive. And so because of his great mercy, he did something about it. And it's interesting, as you look at the middle of these couple of verses, it says, because of the great love with which he loved us. That seems a little bit repetitive, like great love loved us. But I want you to see and understand why there's these two words, these two phrases there, right? Is the first one is because of his great love. That is his emotion for you. That is his care for you. That is the way that he loves you. That is his feelings towards you, his great love towards you. Because of that, he loved us. That's an action. And what Jesus did is died on the cross for us. That God sent Jesus to die on the cross because of his mercy, because of his love for you. Now, again, for each one of these, Satan would like to give us a lie, something that kind of makes us not believe the truth that, is, that God gives us, that he's rich in mercy and love. And here's the lie that I think that Satan wants to give us. He wants to give us the lie that you have earned God's love, that you have earned God's mercy. And the fact is, we didn't. Dead people don't earn anything. Dead people are just dead. We were dead in our transgressions. But here's the thing. If Satan can convince you to believe that you earned your salvation, that you earned his mercy, that you earned his love, then it's a very easy step to the next point of, or the next step that he takes with us, of, if you earned it, well, that means you can unearn it. That I can unearn God's love, that I might do something that God says, I'm no longer showing you mercy. I'm no longer showing you love. That's the lie that Satan wants us to believe and to twist that around. The next section, beginning in verse 5, uh, and this is a bit of a longer passage, so I'm going to read the whole thing. Hang with me as best you can and follow along. Verses 5 through 10 says this, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So here's the first part of the, next, of the third foundational truth, is I am alive. And I left this, and you'll see it on your outline and on the screen. I've left the second, there's a blank, and we're going to get to that in a moment. But I want to focus on this first part of I am alive. 
So you see the contrast that Paul is using. You were dead, past tense. I am alive. You are alive, present tense. Was dead, are alive, past, present. Now, because we are alive, not because of what we've done, but because of his great mercy and love, there are a number of implications of this that, that happen in our lives. The first comes from a phrase in the middle. It says that he seated us with him in heavenly places. The implication of that is because you are alive in Christ, you will be seated in the heavenly places. There is a seat picked out for you in heaven that is waiting on you upon your arrival. Last weekend, Stacey and I went to Morgantown for the weekend. Um, and on Friday night, we were there. We were speaking at uh, Chestnut Ridge about marriage. Um, and then they put us up at a hotel that night instead of having us drive back. And a friend of ours from Charleston had been offering us Mountaineer tickets for the whole, you know, frequently. And so it worked out for us to go. So we stayed around uh, Morgantown that day. And so he gave us uh, a couple of tickets. And on the tickets... Uh, were printed where our seats were, right? So we had a seat assigned to us, a seat that was waiting for us. And it said this, uh, it said level TT, section E, row five, seats six and seven, right? And so I didn't really think much about where the seats were. I was just had to be going to the game and into the game. Uh, and it turns out that level TT stands for um, Touchdown Terrace, right? Some of you guys know what that is. I didn't know what that is. So Touchdown Terrace, it's uh, behind one of the end zones. So you can see all the plays kind of developing right at you. It's, it's, it's right behind the band. Uh, but the best thing about the Touchdown Terrace is uh, behind you, there's this entire buffet of food, which is free! <laughs> right? And, it's, and so instead of paying, you know, $8 for this and $10 for that, you go back there, and there's like everything. There's like hot dogs, there's barbecue beef, there is nachos, there is like a whole wall full of Diet Coke, there is ice cream, there are chocolate chip cookies, and my personal stadium favorite, there are soft pretzels. Like, you can make soft pretzels at home, it is not the same, I mean, it was just soft pretzels everywhere. And the thing is, I tailgated well, so I wasn't hungry, but I ate all that stuff. Just like, it's free, I'm eating this stuff, right? Now, some of you who are a little bit like skeptical, and I like skeptical people because I'm one of them, some of you are thinking, Matt, it's not really free. Somebody paid for you. Anybody thinking that? Yeah, somebody paid for the food, somebody paid for the tickets, Matt. It's not really free. But you see, here's the beauty of that, right? You're right, it's not really free. Somebody else paid for the tickets, and we got to go in, and we had a seat assigned in Touchdown Terrace for us. It was free to us. It wasn't free to them. And the same is true of your salvation. It is free to you, but it, somebody else paid for it. Jesus Christ paid for your salvation on the cross, and that is absolutely unbelievably awesome. He paid for your salvation on the cross, and so there is a seat for you in heaven, not because of what you have done, but because of what he has done. Here's the second implication of being alive in Christ. It comes from verses 8 and 9. It says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not 
your own doing, is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Here's the second implication of being alive in Christ, is that our salvation doesn't have to do with us. It says it's not by works so that no one may boast. I didn't live a perfect life. Jesus did. I didn't die on a cross. Jesus did. I didn't rise from the grave. Jesus did. You didn't live a perfect life. Jesus did. You didn't die on a cross. Jesus did. You didn't rise from the grave. Jesus did. And when we look at that, again, we say, well, that's the truth that Jesus rose from the grave. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus lived a perfect life, right? And so it's not about my works. It's about him. But what's the problem if I think it's about my works, right? If our faith, if, if our spiritual lives are built on our works, then it's like building a foundation of life or faith on a sinkhole that it's eventually going to give way. And here's why, is because if we think that my salvation is built on my being a good person and doing the right things, then that's going to make me prideful. And if I'm prideful, then what am I going to do? I'm going to boast that this is about me instead of about God. And then our whole lives even though we're trying to build our lives about God, because we're building our lives on this foundation, this false foundation of my good works and myself and the things that I'm doing for God that he's pleased with me, if, if that is the foundation of my faith, it will crumble. Then it says this, verse 10. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, I just spent the last 10 minutes or more talking about how it's not our good works. But then right here, Paul says, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Well, what gives? Is it good works or is it not good works? And here's a very concise sentence to help you understand this. And we'll actually unpack this when we talk about um, the book of James a little bit later, um, a few weeks it's this, is we are not saved by good works, we are saved for good works, right? You are not saved, your salvation doesn't come to you because of your good works, past, present, or future. It comes because of Jesus. But you are saved, you are made alive for the good works that he wants you to do. Now, it says this phrase, it says, we are his workmanship. Now, underline that word, and I want to talk about that for a minute. The book of Ephesians was not written in a, in a vacuum. The book of Ephesians was Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, okay? Now, Ephesus was a real place, a real town. We don't know that much, or you probably don't know that much about it. Maybe you've learned about it a little bit. Maybe you've been there. But Ephesus was this cultural um, mecca of that kind of region of the world, right? And so you would walk down the streets, and there would be these absolutely beautiful pieces of art and statues and craftsmanship and all of this just amazing stuff as you walk down the street. And those things, those crafted pieces of art and beauty that were made by the men and the artisans in Ephesians, they were called poimia, okay? And that's, that's the Greek word, or poema, right? Depending on how you pronounce it, but that's what that was, right? You would look and you would see these, right? 
And when Paul writes this in Ephesians 2, he says, for we are his workmanship, he's using that same phrase, the poema, right? And, and here's why I say that. And if you want to see how it's spelled, I'll, I'll put it up there if, you're, if you want that. But here's the thing is, in the same way that someone who walked on the street in Ephesus and see these beautiful creations, that's how God feels about you. You are his workmanship. You are his koyama. You are his craftsmanship. That's who you are. Now, you are all that God has made you and the experiences and all that you are. And so I want you to think just about your own life and, and how are you his workmanship? How are you this poema that he has put together? So you have a personality, right? And maybe your personality is a blend of humor and patience, or maybe your personality is adventuresome, or maybe it's cautious, or, or maybe whatever it is, it's unique to you in your personality. And then God has given you talents, Maybe you're really artistic. Maybe you're good with numbers. Maybe you're good with math. Maybe you're good with details. Maybe you're good at welcoming people. Whatever it is, but you have these talents that are unique to you. And then you have spiritual gifts. God says you have a spiritual gift, or maybe you have more of of leadership or compassion or helps or prayer or mercy or speaking or teaching or whatever, but you have a spiritual gift. And then you have passions. You have things that you are passionate about. Maybe you're passionate for justice. Maybe you're passionate for the poor. Maybe you're passionate about football. Maybe you're passionate about books or movies or TV shows. Maybe you're passionate about clothing. Maybe you're passionate about gardening. Maybe you're passionate about theology. Maybe, I mean, whatever it is, you are passionate about things. And then the last part is that you have experiences that are unique to you then maybe you grew up in a home that was really hard. Maybe your parents got divorced. Maybe you grew up in a family that had perfect great parents. Maybe you got fired from a job that you shouldn't have been fired from. Maybe you got fired from a job that you should have been fired for much earlier, right? But you have experiences that are unique to you. And all of those experiences, you put the passions, the spiritual gifts, your talent, all of those make you who you are. Right? You are God's workmanship. And so here's the third truth as we expand out, is I am alive for a purpose. That God made you alive in Christ, and now he has a purpose for you to live for that incorporates all of this, your passions, your experiences, your gifting, your likes, your dislikes, all of that makes you who you are to give you a purpose that's beyond yourself, a purpose that is part of God's kingdom. I want to use a little um, illustration here. So this is, uh, this is a level, right? Has everybody seen a level before, right? And so you, a level is obviously used. It was made to make things, there you go, bright crowd, okay? So it was used to make things level. So the things, it'd be a picture, it could be a board, whatever it is, but th- imagine that this is you, right? And you were created to make things level. Now, with each of these foundational truths, we said Satan wants to lie to us and tell us something that's not true, right? And so here's a lie that Satan might say to you. He says, you know what? You're a level, but you're kind of messed up and bruised and like, and if you look at this, if you were up close enough, like there's a, some, 
plastic piece that's chipped here. Some of the screws holding in the little level things are um, rusted. There's chips in the paint. This, you, you go, you know what, I'm a level, but I'm not a brand new level. Like, I'm not good for really much of all. And so I, I just, you know, I'm not a good level. If I was a new level, then I'd be worth something, right? Or we go like this. We go, I'm not a great level, but if I was a cool level like this level, I mean, this is a cool level. Like, if it has a 45-degree level on it, and this level is so cool, it's got a magnet on the side of it. Like, ooh, if I was that level, then I could really accomplish my purpose for life. But I'm just this kind of bruised and beat up level like this. Or we go, you know what? I'm a level, but there's a lot bigger levels in the world, right? If I was a bigger level, then I could really do something with my life. But I'm just an old, rusty, banged up level, right? But if I, was a, if I was like that guy, and I know he's a big level, then I could really do something in life, right? And those are the lies that Satan gives to us. We think, gosh, if I was like that. Well, you know, there's one more. If I could, uh, I need a prop here, right? So I might, if I had a door here, can we imagine that there's, a, imagine this is a door. What is this? Okay, right. So, but I need to keep the door open, so I'm going to take my, and put it in the, because they're so fun. Okay, I'm going to put it in the door, right? And then here's the thing, is God says, hey, I want you to do this thing. I want you to level this painting. And you're like, I'm too busy. Why are you too busy? Because I'm holding this door open. Well, you weren't created to hold the door open. You were created to make things level, right? And we do that with our lives. We're like, I'm too busy doing this other stuff that I can't do what you want, God. I'd like to, but I'm too busy. Got other things going on. And we ask ourselves that question, are we doing the things that we were created for? Because God made you alive for a purpose. So we've talked about three foundational truths this morning. I was dead in my sin. God is rich in mercy and love, and I am alive for a purpose. If you've been around River Ridge um, very much, you know that oftentimes I'll do a sermon that'll be three, four, five, six points, and I'll say, hey, pick one. Like, I know it's hard to do four things or three things or seven things, so pick one, and, and where is God leading you on that? But here's the thing. With these three truths, I can't do that. You, all three of these truths are absolutely essential. You were dead in your sin, past tense. You are alive in Christ. Why? Because of what you've done? No. But because of his great mercy and his great love. We were dead in our sin. God is great in love and mercy poured out to us on the cross. And I am alive and I have a purpose to live for. Right? And that purpose, right, that's not what saves me. But because I am alive, I live for that purpose. And those are the things that I do because God wants me to do them. And he made those things in advance for me. Right? And we could keep talking around and around and around about these things and put them in all different ways. You were dead. God in his mercy, you are alive. You have a purpose. We can't forget any of these. Because if we do, the foundation crumbles because Satan's lies get into us and then we begin to think, hey, it's about me. 
hey, it's about my works. Hey, I'm boastful. We, we go this wrong direction. We mess it up. You are dead in your sins. But God in his mercy has made you alive in Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words from Ephesians 2 and how foundational they are. God, I pray that we would always live these and know these and remember these because, God, we want the foundation of our lives to be you and your death on the cross for us. We were dead, but in your mercy, you have made us alive. God, I thank you for your love for us. And it's not about us, it's about you. In Jesus' name, amen.